Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Changing the Climate, a show where we talk about the changing world around us and how we can make it better. Brought to you by Climate Change Realty. Trevor, how's it going, man? It's going good, man. Happy to be here. Yeah, well, really happy to have you, man. Everyone, welcome back to another episode. And of course, we always get this show started with a little bit of background on who you are and how you got to be doing what you're doing at the moment. For sure. Uh, my name's Trevor Yan. Uh, I'm an industrial hemp researcher and advocate. Um, I, I got into industrial hemp because um, I wanted to do something about the climate crisis. And uh, I ended up reading this book when I was in high school called Hemp Bound by Doug Fine, talking about how hemp is going to be this multi-billion dollar crop. It's, you know, it's going to... Uh, uh, it, it can do all these amazing carbon neutral things. And I thought to myself, you know, what a bunch of hippie bullshit, like no way. Um, and I started doing my own research and I found out that, you know, he, a lot of what he was saying was right. It really is an incredible plant. Um, it was illegal for 81 years and now it's back and uh, it's doing some big things in the sustainability realm. Well, man. Yeah. So I'd, I'd like to talk all about it. I think this is a really awesome topic. I Same with you. When I was in high school, I smoked a lot of weed in high school, like almost every day. But I was a really interested in the movement of like industrial hemp and getting back into it. And I realized how amazing this fiber is. So I'm really excited to like kind of pick your brain about all the topics when it comes to this. But um, I want to know where your kind of interest in sustainability comes from. And then also how that relates to maybe your interest in like markets and using hemp in like a, a economic way. Sure. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, it, you know, we have until 2050 to get the entire global economy to net zero emissions or, you know, millions of people are going to die. Um, it, it, it's no joke. Climate change is, is a real problem. I wish it wasn't, uh, but it is. And it's, you know, it's the great issue of our generation and um, you know, anything you can do to, to help, you know, reduce emissions and get us on track to, uh, to reaching net zero. Well, you know, that's a good thing. Yeah. Well, be, beyond a doubt. I mean, I would agree. People have varying opinions and I'll say that my, my thoughts on the topic fluctuates all the time, but I'm always trying to learn just generally how to use the environment as a lens to make the world a better place. But I would agree with you. It's kind of a epistemic issue. So before we kind of get too, too deep, let's talk about the, uh, the big bullshit situation that um, has been going on over the last year, which is why is cannabis become illegal? And then why is it still illegal on the federal level? Right. That's uh, it's a big question. First, um, just I always want to make sure that people understand the difference between hemp and marijuana. So, mm-hmm. so uh, cannabis is a lot like dogs, you know. There's hundreds of different breeds of cannabis that have all been bred for specific things. Uh, they're called cultivars. And um, the cultivars that have been bred for THC and, and narcotics, that's, that's marijuana. Um, the cultivars that have been grown for uh, fiber and grain content um, and that, that don't have THC in them, that is what hemp is. And so hemp's not a drug, it can't really be turned into a drug. It's, it's, it's really a natural fiber crop, um, more in, in, in the neighborhood of, of cotton or flax than it mm-hmm. is, um, marijuana. But that, but that being said, the reason it's illegal, I mean, the way the story goes at least is that, uh, uh, 
a lot of the corporate interests in in paper in, in lumber in paper and in textiles were afraid of uh, hemp as a competitor and so they conspired to have it outlawed uh, I'm not sure how much of that is actually true mm-hmm. uh, to be honest with you there's a lot of hemp was kind of going out of fashion as a textile around that time um, already because of synthetic you know because of cheap synthetic uh, textile competitors and um, because of the dominance of cot of the cotton industry um, but yeah I mean that's that's I'm not a huge believer in the conspiracy side of it but that's the story at least well what well, well let's let's talk about the conspiracy side a little bit what what would that what would that mean i mean there were there was some yeah there's always like the, the idea that there's these like dark forces that play that are trying to promote their own self-interest but surely there's a, a really significant reason why this natural plant became illegal no Right. Well, hemp was kind of collateral damage for the out uh, for the illegalization of marijuana. So mm-hmm. marijuana is what was what became illegal in the 1937 uh, Marijuana Tax Act. Is what actually made it illegal, and uh, the, the the testimony for you know that went on in the House when they were uh, when they were debating about whether or not to make it illegal mm-hmm. is focused on a lot of really crazy. Uh, really racialized uh, stuff back then. Uh, Harry Anslinger, who was the the driving force in the government uh, behind outlawing marijuana, was was an incredibly racist guy. Mm -hmm. Um, And he kind of used the marijuana issue as a way to to gain political power for himself. Um, Yeah, so I'm not much of a historian on that. No worries, man bad man but yeah no all good i mean even the name marijuana itself which is like the common term we use to refer to like cannabis sativa and cannabis indica right is like derived to like demonize like people in mexico isn't it like it's a spanish word marijuana marijuana you know like it's just when you look back through history you realize that like we do these really silly things and then when like 30 years go by people just accept things as the norm and don't kind of look back on it but um luckily we have a lot of information thanks to the internet and we're able to kind of move forward and uh talk about some cool things and hopefully change these laws that are extremely outdated um so let's get into like talking about the really promising um opportunities that industrial hemp would have to offer because as i understand it it's a crop that's been used for like millions of years by humans isn't it well not millions of years humans have been around modern humans have been around for you know about a hundred thousand years uh maybe maybe 250 good catch good catch there uh it has been used for a really long time it was one of the first (laughs) domesticated crops um by by humanity i think the earliest evidence we have of uh of uh, cannabis sativa being used for industrial purposes is um, some a- archaeological sites from China from almost 10,000 years ago. They found shreds of hemp clothing. Um, mm. So it has been around for a really long time. And up until relatively recently, it, it played a you know a pretty prominent role in, in world agriculture. Um, you know, uh, up, up until the late 19th century it was the dominant textile used in shipping um and in uh paper so you know you'll hear a lot of uh historical stories about hemp where like you know the mona lisa was was painted on on hemp parchment for example Hmm. um 
The Constitution, unfortunately, was not written on hemp paper, but it very well may have been drafted on hemp paper because it was very mm-hmm. popular at the time. Um, so it used to play this big role in, in history. And then, you know, it's been outlawed for, for 81 years and it's kind of lost. Its, it, it, it kind of lost its place. And it's now it's now coming back. Yeah. So in like in what industries is like, are you most excited about using hemp? I'm pretty bullish on using hemp in construction. So uh, mm-hmm. there's a lot of really cool carbon neutral uh, construction materials that can be made out of all parts of the, of the plant. Uh, I'm also pretty bullish on uh, hemp uh, paper products, paper and, and, and uh, pulp products um, are really coming back into fashion. And also uh, textiles. Uh, it's a much more environmentally friendly plant than cotton. It's, it's probably the most environmentally friendly natural fiber that we have. Um, and it's coming back in a big way in those areas. Can you can you explain what that means? Why is it more environmentally friendly than say something like cotton? Well, if you're going to compare it specifically to cotton, we're talking about water use and pesticide use. So, Excellent. Uh, an, an acre of, if you switching from one acre of cotton to an acre of hemp saves almost um, three and a half million liters of water. So it's a, it, it, it's about a fifty percent reduction in your total water usage, and that's a big deal. Uh, in a lot of places that are facing water insecurity, um, which also happened to be, at least in the United States, that happens to be um, kind of coincide with where the cotton is grown. So a lot of the cotton is grown uh, in West Texas and, you know, farmers are paying more and more uh, in the irrigation costs every year. And it's starting to really impact the viability of their farms. And they're looking to hemp as, you know, a, a low water replacement for that. Um, there's also the pesticide issue. So hemp, it grows really fast. It goes from seed to sale, uh, seed to harvest in about 100 days. Um, and it forms a canopy really fast. And that canopy kind of blocks out the sunlight, um, which, which stops weeds from growing. So uh, there's also a, a pretty significant reduction in pesticide usage that's associated with hemp. What kind of hemp products do you currently use in your daily life at the moment? Well, I'm wearing, I'm wearing my hemp t-shirts. Um, nice. I, I eat a lot of hemp hearts, which is uh, uh, the hemp seed is actually a superfood. Um, all sorts of stuff, man. Uh, hemp soap, Dr. Bronner's hemp soap is, is uh, amazing. I'm a big fan. Sweet. I've got my, uh, my poster back there on the wall. That was actually one of the, uh, that was actually made from one of the first legal hemp harvests in Colorado in, in you know, 80 some years. Oh, awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, hemp products, that, the thing is, Hemp's, hemp was made uh, legal again by the 2018 Farm Bill about mm-hmm. three years ago. So there's only been two legal hemp harvests uh, since then in this country. Wow. And so uh, it, there's still a lot, you know, there's still a lot on of- On the come it, up. On the come up. You'll hear a lot of, of people in the hemp industry talk about how it's got 50,000 uses or whatever. Um, but you don't see a lot of them in the marketplace yet because this is a brand new industry. It, it's old- it's, it's an old plant, but it's a brand new industry because all of the infrastructure that used to exist to process hemp uh, fiber, you know, has rusted away. And so now mm-hmm. basically the entire supply chain has to be rebuilt from scratch. Right. So it's going to take some time to see the effects. But let's talk about this 2018 farm bill a little bit. Like, how did it come about? Why, after 80 years, did this bill crop up? And finally, we're getting a chance to open up the, the spaces again. Um, well, a lot of it was the hard work of activists. Um, um, Hell yeah. We've been at it for a really long time. So 
in uh the late 90s, early 2000s, this guy named Jack Hare, who's a, a bit of a legend in the space, he published a book called The Emperor Wears No Clothes, um, which was a, uh, a it's kind of, kind of the Bible for hemp activists. It, it you know, Sweet. it's bring back a lot, of, a lot of lost knowledge about the planet. It became this underground hit. Um, and it played a big role in getting hemp back into the national conversation. Um, but also, you know, I think what really pushed the needle was that farmers uh, started looking, you know, abroad, American farmers started looking abroad to places like Canada, where hemp's been legal since uh, 1998. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Western Europe, where hemp has been, hemp was actually never outlawed, but has, has been gaining kind of, has kind of a resurgence on the continent in, in the late 90s as well. And they saw how much money where people were making. Uh, and they started asking, you know, they started lobbying their, their uh, politicians for more access to these crops. Um, one of the best friends that the hemp industry ever had was Mitch McConnell from Kentucky. Um, Hmm. and a big reason that he was such a, a supporter of hemp in the first place was that, uh, Kentucky tobacco farmers have really been struggling because, you know, tobacco uses has decreased dramatically in this country and it's starting to to decrease dramatically around the world. Um, and they were on the lookout for a new cash crop. Um, and that's where a lot of the support for the 2018 farm bill came from was farmers. So this bill has made hemp federally legal while cannabis or marijuana still remains federally illegal. Is that how it works? How did that kind of go? Come yeah, it's, about? it's, it's kind of a messy situation, right? Cause, cause hemp Always. is kind of this arbitrary word. Um, the legal definition of hemp is just any cannabis sativa plant that has less than 0.3% THC, um, which is a, a, a completely made up number. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I said before, there's a lot of different cultivars of, of hemp that do different things. And, you know, they might as well be different plants for each other. Like you'll see cultivars that are um, specifically bred for their fiber content and they're like 18 feet tall and like they look more like sugarcane or like corn. Than cannabis, but then you'll see um, hemp plants that are that are grown for CBD, which I mean, it looks like pot, smells like pot. It, it's just a pot plant without the THC in it. Um, so it's a really blurry line here because it's all at the end of the day, it's all the same plant. It's all cannabis sativa L, but you know the difference between a, a Chihuahua and a Great Dane is 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 pretty big, even though they're the same species. Fair point. When do you think we're just gonna get over this and just legalize it, the whole thing, man? Um. I have no yeah, idea. Uh, federal. I, I I can't predict specifically, but I'd be shocked if uh, if it took longer than five years for full federal legalization of cannabis. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I've been hearing that for like ten years now, but uh, I mean, the tides are definitely turning. We've got what like twenty three states with like recreational pot or, or more or less. Yeah, I, we, we've we've definitely reached a tipping point. I mean, more Americans now live in a in a state with a, a legal cannabis market than without. Um, yeah, pretty, pretty mind blowing fact when you consider how quickly all of this is, has kind of come about. It is but, a mind blowing fact. Yeah. And I grew up in New Jersey and they just legalized last year. And that was crazy. I remember thinking, like, I don't know if that's ever going to happen. But what I love about that is just is just the amount of people who aren't being racially profiled and locked up for ridiculous reasons. That's like the, the biggest issue in my mind when it comes to this kind of stuff. But um, very cool. Um. 
So when you say hemp is the strongest natural fiber in the world, what does that like mean? Because as far as I thought like, like spider web or something was like the strongest fiber you could ever have. Spider silk. Uh, yeah, we're, that we're talking about uh, natural bass fibers that, that, that come from plants. So we're comparing it to things like flax and jute and cotton. Um, but mm -hmm. it, is, it is the strongest natural fiber uh, that, that's out there that you can get from a plant. It's very tough what like what do you use fibers for you're talking about like making clothing or does that go into like construction as well yeah fibers are, are um extre extremely versatile uh i don't even know. know what a fiber what is, what is a fiber what is a fiber yeah man i don't know uh, I, I think of like like fiber like in cereal or like in my food yeah no so 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 the fire like in hemp the fiber is the bass fiber which is which surrounds like the woody stock of the plant mm -hmm. um but all sorts of like, like wood, wood is a fiber. Uh, when you, when the, the bark on a tree, that's, that's fiber. When, uh, when, when they make paper, when they make trees into pulp, like they pulp up all the fibers and then, uh, which are just these long strands of tissue mm -hmm. and uh, they, you know, they kind of attach them uh, in, in, in different ways. So like paper is they take a bunch of, of pulped up wood fiber and they put it over, they spread it into a thin layer and then all the fibers kind of, um, get caught up with each other, kind of like a Velcro. And that's how, how paper works. Fair enough. Yeah. I, I'm a realtor, man. I, I just uh, sell things and smile at people all day long, but um, uh, what's going on with like hemp fiber in China? I saw that you like wrote an article about this, right? Oh yeah. Um, China is actually the biggest producer of hemp in the world. Um, awesome. And they have been, they have been for, for quite some time. If you see, you know, like this hemp shirt almost certainly mm -hmm. came from China. Um, a lot of the textile production these days takes place in Southeast Asia. Um, and like I said earlier, all of the infrastructure in North America to process hemp textiles is completely rusted away. Um, and all of the, all of that economic activity, all those jobs have, have gone to, to China, who's now leading the world in hemp fiber. And it's, 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 it's a, a little frustrating sitting over here, um, you know, watching them lead the way in this uh in hemp you know they're doing all sorts of really exciting stuff with hemp bioplastics and uh hemp biomaterials um and you know they get a lot of there's a lot of government support in china there's a lot of support that comes from the ccp uh, nice. to hemp farmers and hemp factories and um you know like they just put in a hundred million dollar industrial hemp park in, in yunnan in the north and uh, it's, it's, it's really exciting. It's, it's, it's at the same time, it's exciting to see what they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also a little frustrating because I feel like we should be leading the way over here. Um, and we're kind of getting our clock cleaned right now. Yeah, we got a lot of a lot of places to catch up, man, in this country, but we're, we're going to do it because of because of people like us. But was it ever illegal in China? Hemp? Did they recently legalize just like the US or whatever? That's probably a great reason why they're ahead. I don't know. Uh, well, they uh, the psychoactive parts of cannabis are, are certainly illegal in China and even mm -hmm. CBD, they are actually, they, they actually produce almost as much CBD as the U S does, but it's all for export. So it's illegal uh, to use CBD in the domestic markets in China. It's all, all of it, they grow and all of it, they export. What do you know about hempcrete when it comes to like buildings? Hmm. Hempcrete is a, uh, a product that gets a lot of media attention. It's a, a drywall replacement, um, drywall and insulation replacement that's made out of uh, 
chopped up hemp herd and uh, a mixture of, of, of chopped up hemp and lime, like chemical lime. Um, and it's really cool because it, it can actually, if you do it right, uh, it can actually be carbon negative. It actually sequesters carbon out of the atmosphere awesome. over the course of the product's life. Um, and so there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of press about that. So it's replacing like insulation, which is made out of what, like plastic at the moment or like. There's a lot of things you can, there's a lot of things you can make. Well, it's a drywall and insulation replacement. So drywall generally traditionally is made out of gypsum. um, And it's, it's a very carbon intensive product. You have to mine Hmm. all of these uh, minerals out of the earth. You have to heat it up to thousands of degrees Fahrenheit to melt it together. It's very energy intensive. Um, And that's, you know, (laughs) hemp products aren't cool because they're made out of hemp. They're cool because they're carbon neutral. Um, right. And yeah. Uh, and so drywall is, is, is one of the, one of the most carbon intensive products out there on the construction market and finding a, a way to replace it without putting more carbon in the atmosphere is, is a big deal. It's so fucking cool, man. Um, I wanted to ask you, I want to get into like a little bit about like your personal views in a second, but I wanted to see like, where do you think we are as far as like the current state of the industrial hemp industry? It sounds like we're at like the baby step part. Like we're just starting to like get this train rolling again. And where do you think we'll be in like 18 to 24 months? Cause I know you seem like the kind of guy who's trying to like push this machine, get it going as quickly as possible. So I wanted to see where you think about this. Uh, no, I'm not that guy. There are people on the front lines of this industry that are doing really amazing work, really innovative stuff. Um, like I said, it's, it's a baby industry. It's, mm-hmm. it's three years old. There've been two legal harvests. This is the third legal, federally legal harvest. Um, and so right now people are still really trying to find uh, their markets. They're really trying to carve out their niches um, and, and um find which products you know like i said before there's fifty thousand products that could be used for mm-hmm. but not all of them have a have a have a big market uh for those products right now so a lot there's a lot of uh processing operations where they're taking hemp out of the field and they're processing the fiber um and what they're trying to do right now is they're trying to find they're trying to do product development they're trying to um find the specific markets where they're going to be able to sell as much of that fiber as possible um, so something like hempcrete, which gets a lot of press, isn't actually is a very tiny market right now, and it's a very hard market to grow because there's a lot of uh, red tape surrounded surrounding build, uh, building materials. Because hempcrete is essentially a whole different way to build a house. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it, it's it's a brand new building material, and so it has to kind of pass the um, uh, it has to you know, jump through all of these, all of these hoops uh, and regulations to get certified. Certainly. Um, which is a, a really big, you know, barrier to growth. Totally. Uh, there's, o- there's other hemp products in the construction space that are um, a little bit easier for contractors to, uh, to incorporate. So it's more of like a one-to-one replacement. Um, there's companies like Hemp Detecture in Idaho who are making carbon neutral hemp uh uh, bat insulation a product called hemp wool and that's i'm uh, more bullish on pro- products like that because it's a one-to-one replacement for a product that already exists you don't have to go and teach contractors a whole new way of building a house um, you can just say instead of using uh y- your fiberglass insulation you're going to use this hemp insulation and it's the same process 
So, so if you're not the guy who's trying to like push the train and get it rolling, then like, what kind of guy are you? Where do you think you fit in, in this whole hemp revolution? Like why, yeah. Why are you passionate about it? Why am I, I'm passionate about it because I'm passionate about uh, getting us to, to net zero. Like I said before, it's not that it's, it, it's not cool because it's hemp. It's cool because it's carbon neutral. Like mm. once you accept the de- the thing about decarbonization is that it's inevitable, right? It's going to happen one way or the other. Either we can, we can either get there now ahead of time as a result of smart policy, policy choices, um, or we could wait until things get so bad that we can't keep the economy running. But one way or another, we're getting to net zero. Um, so once you accept that decarbonization is inevitable uh, and you understand the role that biomaterials are going to have to play in that, hemp just is the obvious candidate uh, as a precursor material for, for those biomaterials. Like you could do, you could make hempcrete out of corn or cotton, um, but because those crops are, are so much more, uh, are so much harder on the environment and have such lower yields compared to hemp, it's a, you know, you, you wouldn't, you want to use hemp. I hear you. Can you tell me about your idea of like renewable carbon? Renewable carbon, yeah. Um, a lot, a lot of people kind of naively have this naive idea that we have to get rid of carbon entirely. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's crazy talk. Uh, carbon is, is one of the most useful molecules out there. Um, so I'm getting interviewed. Sorry. I, yeah. Sorry. Uh, someone just came in. Um, uh, yeah. A lot of people have this really naive idea that we could just get rid of carbon entirely. And that's silly because carbon is one of the most useful molecules out there. It's, it, it, it's in everything. Um, a lot of organic chemistry is, is based on carbon. You know, you can't have, we can't have things like, like, um, like, like certain medicines and stuff without carbon. Uh, and a lot of the, of this, of the materials that make the modern world go around are really difficult to decarbonize. Stuff like concrete production, really hard to decarbonize. Uh, steel production, really difficult to decarbonize. So we have to have this certain amount of carbon uh, playing a role in the economy. But what we want to do is we want to move from adding more and more carbon in the atmosphere to finding um, net zero sources of carbon. So the reason that hemp is uh, a quote unquote renewable carbon is because it's actually, it, it, it grows by photo, photosynthesis. So it's actually taking carbon out of the atmosphere, turning it into the actual fiber and structure of the plant. And then we're turning that into a product instead of, you know, if you compare that to something like fiberglass insulation, where you're mining new uh, minerals out of the earth um, mm-hmm. and taking all this carbon that wasn't already in the system and adding it to the system. So uh, we need to find uh, uh we need to find a balance and that's that's where that's what renewable carbon means to me yeah i think that's really really cool man the idea that i love the idea of just like regeneration in general like the stuff that we create gives back more than it takes away what i really wanted to ask you is like what would your like idea or vision of like a fully sustainable economy like actually look like like maybe sounds like building stuff out of hemp and like giving back to the planet i wanted to hear your personal thoughts on this yeah, well, I mean, we're all trying to build a sustainable economy. The short answer is nobody really knows exactly what it, what it looks like. We know some things about it. We know that it has to be carbon neutral. We, we know that it has to, uh, or at least carbon neutral. It might have, even have to be carbon negative. Um, but at any rate, it has to uh, take out approximately the same amount of, of greenhouse gases as it emits. 
Um, and that's why biomaterials are such a big deal. Um, but you know, what an actual sustainable economy is, is going to look like, but what is the economy going to look like in, in 20, 30 years? No one's exactly sure. I mean, there could be all sorts of crazy technologies that come out that we're not aware of yet that change the game. Mm -hmm. um, we don't really know what, you know, we don't know what's going to happen one way or the other. Yeah, well, we got it. We got to build it, man. And I think that's always the case, whether you're looking back 20 years or forward 20 years, nobody ever knows what's going to happen. But, but there's always like entrepreneurs and people who are passionate about stuff pioneering these changes. And then there's always corruption that's kind of fighting back and making things worse. So I don't know, we just got to keep doing, uh, doing cool shit and, and see what happens. But what I want to ask you is an interesting question, something I read on your bio is that you consider yourself an epistemocrat. So I wanted to ask you, what does that mean? And then what does like knowledge mean to you? What does it mean to have knowledge? I appreciate that question, man. Nobody, nobody ever reads the bios. Um, <laughs> an, an being an epistemocrat, it means that an epistemocrat, it means that I, I believe in the fallibility of, of human knowledge. Um, it means that I'm not a big fan of, of forecasts and, and predictions, um, hmm. you know, way out there when people try and do market reports where they're trying to predict the size of, of, uh, of a market in, in 25 years, I, those people are kidding themselves. We, we live in an incredibly complex world. Um, and no matter how good your mental model is up there, you can't account for, you know, the craziness that is life and, and all of, all of the um, black swans out there that might come and, and, and really change things. So um, on, a, on a practical level, it means that I'm always open to the idea that I'm wrong. I love that. Is there any like personal experiences you had where you've been like predicting something and had like a huge failure? Like I know like Ray Dalio, I'm a huge fan of him. He had like the biggest hedge fund in the world now or the most successful. And this, his book principles, there's a whole chapter all about this huge failure that he had that totally changed his perspective. I'm curious if there's anything like that that's happened to you to give you this like perspective. You've been humbled by something. <sighs> Um, I've, I've had a few humbling experiences in, in my life. I started a, a CBD beverage company when I was in college. Um, that mm -hmm. was an amazing experience, but, but didn't ultimately work out. And that taught me a lot about, you know, when plans beat reality, what happens? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, hindsight's always 2020. Uh, like nowadays, everybody looks at Bitcoin and, and says, oh, what, obviously this is going to be this great thing. And I was like, well, mm -hmm. if you thought that 10 years ago, you know, then why didn't you buy a few hundred Bitcoin and turn yourself into a millionaire. I mean, it's all, uh, it, uh, things that happen tend to look like they were bound to happen when you're looking back at them. But when you're looking forward, it's, it's very opaque. What, is there anything you think that you know for sure at this point in your life? Like what's, what's, what's the knowledge you got, man? What I know, I know that climate change is a real problem. I know that okay. we need to start taking it as seriously as we can. And I know that we're not, not doing enough right now yeah fair enough um last question man what advice do you have for other people who are passionate about building the sustainable economy that we don't know what it's going to look like but we know it's got to happen yeah um i would i would say um find find a niche where you know that uh find a niche where you're helping like you don't mm -hmm. have to go out and um and and there's no silver bullet that's going to cure climate change. There's no one technology that's going to get rid of all of our emissions. Um, what decarbonization is actually going to look like in practice is uh, people in across a whole breadth of industries 
all adopting new practices and new technologies um, and new mindsets about how uh, their industry works. So you don't have to necessarily go out and, um, you know, invent nuclear fusion or, uh, right. or, or go work for a, a wind turbine company. Um, you can find ways to decarbonize any industry that you're in. Cool. It's really more of a mindset. Yeah. Mindset that we're going to be good, but we got to be better. And I appreciate you coming on the show today. Any last words for all the fans out there? Uh, shit, man. No, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> no, you're good, man. Sometimes you just, it's everything's been said, but, uh, Trevor, I appreciate you taking the time to come out and chat with me, man. I, I'd love to learn more about, uh, industrial hemp and kind of follow this journey and see where it goes. But, uh, it's been a pleasure getting a nice introduction from you today. And I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. No worries. All right, everybody. See you next week. Peace. Word. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Changing the Climate, the official podcast of Climate Change Realty. If you are very passionate about these issues and you know anyone considering buying or selling a home anywhere in the USA, then please visit ccrboulder.com today.